Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. I am Billy Embody. Thanks for listening. Coming at you a little Wednesday night podcast action, help you get you through your Thursday on this Masters week. And the reason why I'm jumping on with you guys to discuss the latest Pac-12 kind of buzz is John Canzano, uh, one of the well-known sources on Pac-12 expansion and realignment in general, uh, did drop some of the latest tidbits uh, that he's hearing on Pac-12 expansion. You can check it out, johnconzano.com. But I have a few takeaways to share, and some of them are kind of what we speculated on on this podcast, as well as um, some of the things we've been reporting in general. And the big takeaway for SMU fans when you look at Pac-12 expansion right now is this tiny little piece that John reported at the bottom. And it is that uh, there are lawyers on the Pac-12 side of things, and there are lawyers on the SMU and San Diego State side of things. This is important. He did report what we have for now uh, quite some time, over a year, that SMU has regular contact with the Pac-12. That, according to multiple sources on his end, so current reporting backs up what we've said. SMU remains in contact with the Pac-12. The big thing, though, is the takeaway that there are lawyers involved at this point from SMU side of things. And I think that's important because when you look at where Pac-12 expansion stands, and John reiterated that SMU and San Diego State are viable uh, Pac-12 expansion targets, not necessarily even candidates, uh, but targets, a key word there in my opinion as well. Uh, But Having lawyers involved on this from SMU side, and it's not just President Turner or David Miller, the uh, you know chairman of the board, or some of SMU's consultants like Oliver Luck or some other parties that are also involved, but having the lawyers involved on this is important because if the Pac-12 is working through a media rights deal right now and they are involving in any capacity... SMU's lawyers, as well as San Diego State's lawyers, that tells me that they are at least having the conversation with these two schools and saying, what would a media rights deal look like? Here's how you could fit into it. And if they're even talking any semblance of a framework of a deal for the television rights of the Pac-12 or for how SMU and San Diego State could join the Pac-12, that is very important. Now, it's important to note that the lawyers are involved on SMU side, not only from those that, that kind of speculation right there, but everyone involved in this on any level is under a very strict non-disclosure agreement. And so that would involve lawyers, sure. But if all of those parties from SMU side, President Turner, David Miller, anyone else that's been involved in this, you know, uh, even, you know, talks with the PAC 12, uh, director of athletics, Rick Hart, um, and others in the administration, they can talk freely with the PAC 12 whenever they'd like, because whatever is being said is under an NDA. And so you're not, that's why you really haven't seen many leaks out of SMU. That's why I maintain that SMU didn't leak, uh, George Klyovkov's visit uh, earlier this year. Those parties that are in regular contact from SMU side 
have remained in contact with the Pac-12 for well over a year now. I mean, I, we can point back to years ago that SMU struck up talks with the Pac-12 at various points. But if those parties are now extended into chats with lawyers, that's important. That is a morsel of information that I think is so critical in John's latest reporting because you'd expect lawyers to have, of course, drawn up the NDA and agreed to it with the Pac-12 and all those things. But once that's in place, it's kind of free reign for the parties involved to have these candid conversations, to have the conversations um, about George Klyovkov visiting and coming through for a visit and all the things that they wanted to do with him on the visit uh, as far as tours and presentations and all of those things. Having the lawyers involved, and again, he didn't go much more into that um, as far as maybe why he noted it. But I think it's important because if SMU's lawyers are, are involved enough that he's having to mention it, I think that's important. I don't know exactly what it means as far as are they discussing what an exit agreement uh, with the AAC could be um, and when a time frame could be for SMU to join the Pac-12 if this all gets agreed to, or if lawyers are even going over what could be a potential Pac-12 media rights deal. And I'll add to this, San Diego State's president came out and said a couple of weeks ago that they were expecting a deal pretty soon and basically just stopped short of saying we're expecting an invitation. He might have even said an invitation, but I don't believe he said that. And so if that's the case and they're involved on that level, and they're, they have enough knowledge to comment on that and be that public about it, I think it certainly walks the thin line of, of the NDA uh, that everyone is under, but it expresses the confidence that we've heard out of SMU and San Diego State side of things and kind of reiterates that in a sense that now you have a president of one of the two universities that is rumored to be uh, garnering an invitation whenever this happens, saying things are moving ahead, expecting this to be worked out relatively soon. Well, that's important because for him to even comment on that on it in that respect, I think is important because that shows the knowledge of where it's all at. And I think SMU has that same knowledge. They've been tight-lipped, um, very little out of there. Uh, the only thing we've really reported is that there's confidence that SMU is going to get an invitation to the Pac-12 whenever this deal gets done. The big piece of uh, his reporting from a overall Pac-12 timeline perspective is that multiple sources across the Pac-12 leadership, uh, as far as schools go, sh shared with him that we understand that we, the Pac-12, contributed to this whole, all right, is it about to happen? It's about to happen. All right, we think it could be this week. They know that they contributed to that. And I said this on our message board, but I think a big piece of that was fighting back to the Big 12 kind of endeavor, propaganda, and things like that that were going on during that time. And casting such a negative light on where the Pac-12 stood that they really felt like they had to step up and fight. That's why they had the unity statement. That's why we've seen multiple presidents go on the record expressing confidence on it. Um, 
you know, those are the things that they're now somewhat walking back as far as a time frame goes, um, as far as John's reporting uh, went in his latest uh, piece. And they're kind of circling the wagons and trying to figure out, all right, how do we address that? Because it now has gone into April. Um, it's April 5th as we're report, uh, recording this uh, podcast. Uh, we've hit multiple moments over the last month and a half, really, that people have said, all right, this might be it. There, There is a little bit of buzz. The presidents have met. Things have come and gone without any formal resolution. And now you're seeing them have to kind of circle the wagons a little bit and say, all right, how do we address that if as presidents we're going to address that and the Pac-12 has remained quiet and I'm not expecting a statement I agree with John on that um, or anything that is going to be more than um, I, I don't even think there's a need for another unity statement there there it seems like behind closed doors they remain unified that's why things are plugging along um, you know from what we're hearing towards getting this deal done. And I think the timeline of some of the media rights deals that have been done are kind of throwing a little bit of a wrench in how people perceive where the Pac-12 is. So for example, um, the Big Ten's media rights deal was done about 10 months uh, or 11 months in advance of their deal ending. And then you get the Big 12 that comes in and they got their deal done a full, it's called, I think, 18 months in advance. And then the SEC negotiated theirs way out in advance. Theirs was obviously a massive move that shook up the entire industry, leaving CBS, um, you know, for ESPN in, in that monster deal. That's where I think people are um, kind of judging the Pac-12 for how drawn out this has been. So the Pac-12's formal negotiating window, exclusive negotiating window, ended in October. And so that's when everyone knew that their rights were going to be on the open market and they were going to be looking for other suitors to uh, shake things up with their media rights deal. That time frame was a full 18 months uh, before uh, their media rights deal would would formally end. Um, or actually, I, I take that back. Uh, yes, the Pac-12 media rights deal doesn't expire until July 1st, 2024. So 18 months before their deal, roughly um, you know, 20 months before their deal would expire. On the flip side of that, the Big 12's exclusive negotiating window didn't even hit. Their deal got done in around October, late October. And their exclusive negotiating window wasn't set to begin until February of this year, 2023. So that would have given them roughly 16 months to get a deal done, um, 15 months to get a deal done or so. Um that is important because I feel like people look at the time frame of these things happening and when they have to begin and start negotiating. And if the Big 12's 
The exclusive negotiating window was set to be February 2023. That's important because that is just the exclusive negotiating window. So if the Big 12 got through there and said, you know what, we're going to look for another partner on this and we want to take it to the open market, that would have pushed them well into this spring, um, which is where the Pac-12 is right now. And even into the summer, I would say, if they ultimately decided to take it to the open market. So for me, I think this is a, a situation where now, because there is such a lead up to July 1, 2024, when the Pac-12's media rights deal ends, it's being viewed and it's been going on already since July 2022, really. This is where the problem is. It's been very public. It's been um, very, I would say, vicious between the Big 12 and how their stance is, which I don't blame them. They're trying to do what they need to do to protect their conference and try to create the best conference they can. And they have, quite frankly, done anything they've wanted to as far as trying to discredit the Pac-12 and try to create uh, a fragmented conference so that they could potentially pick conference teams off. And I don't blame them in that. It is kind of, it's a war out there in the media rights deal market. But for the Pac-12, for them to not necessarily have any way to fight back other than getting a deal done, there's not too much that they can do outside of continue to plug along. That's where the lawyers come in. Of course, there's lawyers for all these schools. There's lawyers for Amazon, Apple. Those are the big ones that are holding this up because they are new to this, um, especially in terms of the college market, which this won't just involve football. This will involve all sports um, for these conference, for this conference. So I, I think as we look back, and there's been various points of buzz nationally around how a deal could get done and when. I don't think we necessarily saw that dramatic amount of buzz, I think from a credible source at least, uh, out there, that they were going to get it done until the, March. That was, the, the, that was when the buzz started to pick up. And for whatever reason, it hasn't yet. But it doesn't mean that a deal isn't going to get done. There's still that confidence uh, that a deal is going to get done. Uh, John reported that. I still believe, based on the people I've talked with, that a deal could very well get done and is likely to get done. And then that would involve SMU and San Diego State being invited in. Um, I don't know what point the negotiations would need to reach for concern to start to build. Um, look, I, I think, and this is just me say, saying this, this is not sourced or anything. I think if you were to look up toward the end of next football season, there's still not a deal done. That's scary. That's scary. And that's where, you know, things could get serious. That's just my opinion. But these guys that are at the top levels of these universities, uh, as well as George Klyovkov and everyone involved from the media rights partnership side of things know that they can get a deal done over the course of the next however many months it takes. 
So John really put it in a way that the the presidents are going to try to reframe the expectations on the timing. And I think that's something that they want to do because now it has stretched almost to a month where there was considerable buzz and people were commenting on it and saying, yes, we think it's imminent. We think it's near um, all those things. Those things haven't come to fruition. That doesn't mean that a deal, uh, you know, isn't going to get done and, and isn't, um, you know, churning towards that, um, you know, direction as they continue to do these negotiations. So I think all that's important to note. Um, so I'm going to be keeping my ear to the ground to see kind of what happens next and, and kind of how uh, this league is going to go about it. Um, you know, John is a great source for a lot of people to read. He's very tied into the Pac-12. Um, I, I feel like the the wear and tear on a lot of people's minds is there. And because of how public this has been, I feel like I understand where you're coming from on it. Trust me, covering it is is uh, a little exhausting as well. But to kind of wrap this all up, it doesn't mean a deal isn't still being worked on and isn't still being um, uh, moved in a positive direction for the Pac-12. Because as this kind of buzz period has come to a close, we're seeing people still expressed through different different avenues that there there's a positivity about getting a deal done and that it being good enough to keep the league together it's just going to look different and that's the biggest thing that throughout this process as amazon and apple have worked on this deal that's the biggest takeaway they move slowly higher education and 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 those at the top move even slower um i think brett yormark and the big 12 did a nice job putting their deal together and getting it done relatively quickly um, as far as him being aggressive to get it done. But at the same token, I don't think the Big 12 was sitting there with that many options or alternate ways to go about getting a deal done. They knew that they wanted to move quickly to make sure that they weren't sitting there in a purgatory of sorts. I don't think Amazon or Apple would would have you know taken the leap with the Big 12 after them you know losing Oklahoma and Texas um, obviously Amazon and Apple are both out west they are willing and able and I was going back and and looking through a lot of past reporting on this and Amazon and Apple have been around in this negotiation for since for 8 months now that I looked back in July and they were noted as a as a media partner so it does move slowly the window is still there for this league to get a deal done and that would involve an invitation to smu and san diego state so um i just wanted to kind of share some reactions about it uh, about john canzano's piece you read the whole thing um on johnconzano.com uh, but look um i i think smu sits in a in a really good spot still and sources on SMU side, what they can say or what they have said to me is that there is optimism. And I've had a couple of really frank conversations with people that are, you know, up there in the university and they've reiterated that. 
And if that's the case, obviously these things can change. But if that's the case, that means they're feeling good enough about that to share it. And that means they're getting good feedback from their consultants. Uh, that means their lawyers um, are probably on board with whatever talks they've had, uh, according to John's reporting, at least, uh, that they are involved with. Um, so I think that's the important thing. We'll continue to monitor it and, and we'll go from there. So that's kind of the Pac-12 powwow talk uh, for today's podcast. I do want to wrap up, though, uh, with shedding some light on um, the wide receiver and tight end room. We, we took a focus and did the offensive and defensive lines earlier this week. And I want to kind of continue to gear you guys up for SMU spring game, uh, which is coming up April 14th at Highland Park High School uh, Friday night. So it'll be a fun uh, next Friday night. It'll be a fun atmosphere. Um, it'll be cool for, um, you know, SMU to get out in the community a little bit. Um, I, I believe there's going to be, you know, there's going to be concessions. There's going to be all those things um, available. So um, be sure to uh, check in with us at uh, HP uh, for SMU spring game. Uh, we'll be out there covering it as we uh, always are. But I do want to jump in and, and uh, talk about the wide receivers and tight ends and kind of what's next. Um, we are going to have a podcast on Friday. We're going to kind of dive into transfer portal needs. The transfer portal window does open April 15th. Um, so the day after SMU spring game, that window will be open. It'll be interesting to see if SMU sees anyone depart. But more interestingly, who SMU could target. So we'll talk a little bit about that as far as speculating on um, maybe some players and, and also positions, of course, that SMU could target. So we'll set you guys up for that on Friday. Tight ends and wide receivers. So leading off with the wide receivers, we've talked a lot about them um, and the, the strides that we've seen this wide receiving core make. They're without Jake Bailey and Dylan Goffney. You won't see them uh, in the spring game. Uh, because they are sitting out recovering with uh, their uh, from their injuries, I should say, um, and and SMU obviously being careful with those two guys who have played a lot of football over the course of their careers. But Jordan Curley, you'll get your first look, uh, extended look, I, I should say, as a public um, to him since he added about 10 to 15 pounds. He's had a terrific spring. He's really poised to be the next wide receiver drafted um, from SMU. I think he's got that in him. I think he's got that ability. If he can stay healthy, you're going to see why he's going to, uh, I think, rise up some draft boards. I don't know if he'll necessarily get to a Rasheed Rice type season. I think SMU's wide receiving core is going to be a little bit more balanced this year. But his speed, um, his new size that he's kind of added to his frame, um, as well as his ability to consistently catch the ball is something that teams are going to covet. So um, he had a, a really nice day, got open on some really nice routes um, when we were watching on Tuesday. He's had a strong spring overall. Um, and Romelo Brinson, uh, another outside receiver, really stepped up and had his best practice on Tuesday. You'll get a chance to see him as well. Um, he's a long, uh, long athlete who can really go up and get it. Um, he's, he's pretty skinny, but he's uh, durable. Uh, he's been able to uh, get a lot of reps this spring and jump right back into the mix in this offense. So maybe the light is starting to turn for him. He played kind of a limited role um, at Miami, I would say, for sure. But uh, he does have a, that athleticism uh, that SMU has been able to make use of uh, with wide receivers in the past. So I'm interested to see what his role will ultimately be. Uh, but he's coming off one of his best practices this week. And then you have uh, Moochie Dixon on the outside, who's really made a surge 
Uh, I think this spring he's developed really well uh, in this SMU wide receiving core. In my opinion, probably the most reliable pass catcher SMU has just from a hands perspective, really does a nice job um, looking the ball in. He made a nice catch uh, on Tuesday, kind of looking in, looking it in over the shoulder um, on a deep pass um, from Preston Stone. And then you have Roger Daniels, and they continue to use him in, in a bunch of different ways. He's an exciting option out of the slot, uh, and he's getting an extended look with uh, Jake Bailey and Dylan Goffney out, as is Jackson Lavender and Carter Campbell. I think both those guys have had nice springs. Jackson Lavender was the early enrollee. Um, he was uh, also working in some special teams, uh, doing some punt returns, kick return stuff uh, during practice as well, so might be an option there for SMU. And Carter Campbell's a former walk-on. He's really caught the ball well this spring, in my opinion. So um, that wide receiver group, uh, it did get Teddy Knox back off of his suspension. So he's kind of in there trying to get back into the groove of things. Um, but he is some somebody that has to continue to develop, I think. But Keyshawn Smith uh, is a guy you can't leave out in this conversation as well. Uh, he's the other Miami transfer that is really electric. And I think becoming more consistent is probably his biggest thing uh, for every kind of highlight real play. Um, I wouldn't say every high, high, highlight real play, but um, enough to notice. Uh, I think he needs to continue to work on his hands, looking the ball in, staying consistent with that. Um, and he'll get more time. You know, he's adjusting to new surroundings uh, and is, you know, getting his foot uh, back into the door of this offense uh, that saw him have a productive start to his Miami career when Rhett Lashley was there. Uh, so Keyshawn Smith is a really smooth athlete. I mean, I, I, just he's going to create some mismatches for other receivers because he is opposite of a Jordan Curley because he's um, lined up uh, outside of a of a Jake Bailey or Roger Daniels. So um, once he puts that all together, I think he's going to be um, really really special because um, he does. He might be right there with Jordan Curley is probably the fastest receiver SMU has. Um, I don't know what Jake Bailey runs. Um, but I would say those two are the two burners uh, for SMU's offense. And then we jump into the tight end room. RJ Maryland, uh, I think SMU is going to be careful with him. He's had a really good spring. He uh, looks like he's spent some time in the weight room and added some more mass to his frame. And we know what he can do. I mean, one of the best freshman tight ends in the country and, and certainly has all conference written all over him for his sophomore season. Uh, so he'll get some burn in the spring game. Um, but I think this is a good opportunity for a guy like Nolan Matthews. Um, he's had a nice spring coming on, playing with a little bit more confidence. He's been healthy from the get-go, which is important. He's a big body. He's athletic. SMU needs him to step up and turn into that true number two tight end, a guy they can use on the end line, a guy they can you know split out a little bit here and there, and also use as a as a blocker. You know, last year. Um, BYU game, especially you'll, you'll, you'll recall Gage Haskin missed the block. Gage has actually had a nice spring in my opinion, but, um, having a big guy like Nolan Matthews out on the edge to block could help SMU as well when they want to kind of play fast and move them out there, uh, running some screens. I think SMU's kind of expanded a little bit. Some of its screen game, uh, this year, uh, in the spring with, with Preston Stone and Kevin Jennings back there at quarterback. Um, those are good ways to get quarterbacks, you know, feeling it and, and just easy passes to complete. Um, Nolan Matthews would be a nice piece to have out there blocking on the edge. I know they did that with him in spurts when he has been healthy in the past. So um, like the spring Nolan Matthews has had, Cam Allen, 
they're still hoping he can develop. Lonnie Johnson uh, is a guy who enrolled early uh, at SMU and I think is still putting it together. He's going to need a weight room uh, in a big way this offseason. And I think with RJ Maryland's emergence and who knows, they could very well add another tight end from the transfer portal. Uh, but with RJ Maryland being your true pass catching tight end, I think Lonnie could be in for a red shirt. Just get him bigger, get him stronger, get him adjusted to all the things they ask of them in the tight end room. Um, that's going to be the adjustment for him, but he sure looks smooth out there uh, running around. I, I will tell you that. So SMU has a bright future in that pass catching tight end room uh, or part of the offense uh, with uh, Lonnie, jo Lonnie Johnson coming up behind. Um, RJ Maryland, Trip Reardon, a big body um, and, and able ca uh, pass catcher will arrive this summer, as will Adam Moore, uh, the late addition in the signing class, who um, I think he's the more I hear about him, I, I think he's going to have a bright future um, with his size and ability to go up and get the ball as well. So the tight end room is one of those rooms that it's not complete yet. I think they're going to need to add a transfer portal tight end and they're going to get two more big, you know, big time, I, I would say, guys they believe are are going to be good ones um, in this summer from their signing class. So with that, guys, going to wrap up this, this edition of the podcast. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are about 80 away from 1,000. So tell your friends, tell your families, do us a favor. Just have them subscribe. They don't have to watch, um, but help us get to that 1K marker so uh, we can uh, sell some ads on this and uh, make a little bit of money. Um, off of this. So appreciate all you guys who have watched this edition on our YouTube channel and uh, all those listening on Apple and Spotify as well. Appreciate you guys listening. We will have another edition of the podcast for you guys later this week. Hope you guys enjoy the Masters this weekend. I know I am. already enjoyed the uh, Par 3 contest on uh, Wednesday and just gearing up for hopefully a, a weekend that the weather kind of stays away uh, from Augusta. I don't know if it will, but I'm um, looking forward to watching all weekend. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you.